0: you're listening and welcome to tri-state at the plate i'm your host andy burdick joined today by the ginger prince of baseball himself bob Finkbinder. bob how are you today
1: very good glad to be here as always
0: we're also joined today by our legal analyst extraordinaire chris <laughs> bradley chris how are you this morning
2: i'm doing just fine how do you like do you like that title
0: i always, I always try I like, come I, up with a creative title
2: i like that i don't really you know i don't i don't have red hair so i couldn't have one as cool <laughs> sounding as, as Bob, though. So.
0: The ginger prince of baseball, I have to say, is one of my finest pieces of work. That's I think uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, so we have tons of stuff to talk about today. There's a lot of the season. We're underway now. We got things going. We got a month under our belt. So we have a little bit about the Pirates that we want to talk about. Although I will say today's podcast is going to be a little prospect heavy. We didn't do our Prospect Spectacular this year. Um, and so I still wanted to take some time, though, and talk about some of – and highlight, I guess, some of the – Pirates prospects um, and their performances uh, thus far this season. So we're going to gonna be a little prospect heavy this episode. We're still going to talk a little uh, topical issues with the Pirates. Um, so we're going to hit on some of the, the Pirates prospects uh, and Indians prospect. But before we do that, I want to talk about what is on the forefront of the news media. And you know what? Again, it's kind of like the godfather with this. Every time I have to talk about one of these issues, I say I don't want to talk about it again, but it just it pulls me right back in every time. And, of course, we're referencing D. Gordon's 80-game suspension for a positive PED test. Now, gentlemen, if you could think of a player that would be more ironic to test positive for PEDs, uh, does one of those exist? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't think so. D. Gordon looks like a child.
0: He does, yes.
2: Especially I think when, I weigh more than him.
0: When Matt Kemp was cradling him in his arms, yeah. he uh, especially looked like a child. Uh, it... I think it kind of highlights the the underlying problem that is still in baseball, which is performance enhancing drugs are still not as um, irrelevant as baseball would like them to be. Um, now, if you're not familiar with with D Gordon's suspension, he tested positive for um, a couple different things. He had a he tested positive for a, a spike testosterone and Clostable, which is um, a uh, you know, now I can't remember what class the ball was, but so
2: well, look, I've got it up right here on Wikipedia. And I got to say, if this this does not have a citation, but it's probably the most hilarious sentence I've ever read in my life. It is a weak anabolic steroid, which was used by athletes from the German Democratic Republic, also known as East Germany. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't really know if that's true because it is Wikipedia, but there you go. All it is is just it, it's synthetic testosterone, apparently.
0: So D Gordon is taking uh, like Cold War era uh, steroids. That's what he's, yeah, <laughs> he's trying, <pretty> <laughs> trying to He
2: thought it was so out of date that he wouldn't get caught. I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe they don't test for that anymore. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when when I read that news, like I woke up and that was the, what was on my phone because this news broke at like a, incredibly weird. It was it broke at one thirty in the morning. <laughs> and so I woke up to this news on my phone and I thought maybe I was still dreaming or not reading it properly because I was tired. And you know, I kind of rubbed my eyes and looked at it again, and no, it was definitely still there. D. Gordon tested positive, suspended 80 games, and it, it definitely it, it caught me off guard. I was surprised just because of the the frame of D. Gordon um, physically. <laughs> but when you think about it, and and I think this is the thing that that. The general, just the average baseball fan who doesn't really look too in-depth into things, doesn't understand about steroids. Yes, uh, during the, you know, 90s when steroids were at their peak and we had these hulking home run hitters like Sosa and McGuire and Bonds, and these guys were just mashing 600-foot home runs. Everybody kind of thinks that people were taking PEDs to get larger and hit the ball farther, which to a degree, that, that definitely worked. I mean, you know, Brady Anderson hit 50 home runs as a leadoff hitter one year. Like, yeah. And then never hit, like, another again. <laughs> right, yeah. So so part of the reason I think that players were taking PEDs was to hit those home runs to get those big paydays and, you know, get that kind of attention. But another thing, an oft-ignored component of the PEDs, is that they help keep you on the field in a, a couple different capacities, I guess, which is, number one, they help you heal quicker. Um, you know, if, if you have a, a torn hamstring um <laughs> you know, a rotator cuff injury. Andy Pettit, uh, who tested positive and and was popped for PEDs at one point, um, said that he was taking the performance enhancing drugs to, to help his, I think it was his shoulder at the time to help his shoulder heal so he could get back to pitching.
2: Yeah. It was the, the human growth hormone, but with, with, with D Gordon, I had thought, because I, before I read anything, I just read the headline like you, I was like, well, maybe, you know, since he's, he's a pretty good like contact hitter, normally you see them taking amphetamines and that, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's how they, that's how they keep their focus, I guess. And uh, I was surprised when it was one about, you know, testosterone.
0: <laughs> well, and, and with D Gordon, that got me to thinking, you know, like what would be a player's motivation like D Gordon to, to take steroids? You know, it's, it's obviously, he's not going to turn himself into a home run hitter unless he's going like <laughs> Barry Bonds hardcore on this thing, which Those at some point sizes. Yeah. I think you're gonna get. I think you're gonna get popped in today's baseball climate if you're trying to Barry Bonds yourself up. But,
1: but isn't it ironic though, that Barry Bonds is a hitting coach for the Marlins?
0: Oh, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a real irony. Um, here's but here's why I, ultimately. So you know, I'm digging into this like next level psychology, and I think if I were a person of D Gordon's size, like I'm a guy who's I'm 155 pounds. I'm not a big guy, and if I were trying to stick around in the majors and and I knew I could put on some weight and just, you know, get that extra weight on to kind of keep you healthy through the rigors of the season. I, I think that would be a good motivation for a player to take performance-enhancing drugs. Like, D Gordon came up as a 150-pound middle infielder. You know what I mean? Like, when he yeah. started with the Dodgers, he was... Matt Kemp was cradling him in his arms, ironically. <laughs> and I, I think that could be a good motivation for a player. You know, a smaller guy like that, just put on some bulk. Like, it's <laughs> it's tough when you're... You know, like when you're thin and you're skinny and you're you're trying to go through 162 games and that season is just wearing you down, you know, take something that's going to help you keep the weight on to help get you through that 162 game schedule. Um, Yeah. You know, and and we'll never know why he did it. I have to say I was somewhat impressed that D Gordon owned up to what he did. But I I
2: thought he said that he
0: didn't realize. And that's that's what I was going to say. So he owned up to it. He said he took full responsibility For what he did he's you know like i i accept the consequences i made a mistake it's you know it's my fault and then you go back and you actually read the beginning and his his exact quote was though i did not do so knowingly and then he he lost (laughs) me right there
2: like that (laughs) spawns.
0: exactly right yeah um i don't know it's it's sad i i think it's really really sad there was a period of time where i I remember uh, i was having a conversation actually with our a uh, good friend, Dan in Buffalo, about um, Albert Pujols. And I think Albert Pujols is probably uh, probably the greatest hitter I've ever seen uh, play the game you know, since I've started watching baseball. Um, and I remember this conversation with Dan, and I told him, I think the most disappointing thing that I could think of would be if it turned out that Albert Pujols took performance-enhancing drugs to get himself uh, to that caliber of baseball player. And now about seven or eight years removed from that comment, I don't know that I would be that disappointed anymore. I, <laughs> I think I would just kind of be like, yeah, that makes sense. He had a great early on career, and that's probably why. <laughs> like, I don't – Yeah, great 10 years. Right. So I I don't know. I think it's just the culture, the baseball climate. The thing that I will say that, that I guess gives me hope about the performance enhancing drugs is that a lot of baseball players – are f- firmly against them. And I think that's where the change will have to happen. You know, like you have Justin Verlander, who's probably the most outspoken uh, Major League Baseball player about performance enhancing drugs, saying, like, we want lifetime bans. Like, we don't want to mess around with an 80 game suspension and then a year suspension. Like, we just want these guys out of baseball.
1: Yeah. And I'll say Matt Holliday is very outspoken as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely and I, that's where the change is going to have to happen. they you know the 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 players' union's going to have to kind of take charge on that and say like look this we want this out of our game because those of us who aren't taking steroids you know it's penalizing us. Um so I guess uh those are kind of my opinions on the uh the the PED D Gordon suspension. Any other thoughts Chris about uh about D Gordon's 80 game suspension?
2: Uh you know I just <laughs> I just think it might have been a little heavy-handed, but I think that's the current, you know, climate. Like you said, there's a lot lot of players against it, and there's a lot of reaction from the, you know, the commissioner's office from it. Before, Even before uh, Manfred, you know, Seelig really, really chased A-Rod down and made him a villain, which, I mean, he did a pretty good job of that himself. But... um, (laughs) <laughs> you know with the with regards to peds though he he made an example out of them even though it was a very uneven example but i think now with manfred they're they're trying to make it more uh like a strike system no pun intended um where, where the you know you you slip up once it's like okay you'll get your 50 games you slip up again okay you get this many games and then if you slip up a, you know a third time, then you're 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 done. You're out, like uh, Familia there on the Mets. So uh, I I don't know. I just think I hope D Gordon comes back and performs like he did before, just to show that it wasn't really the, you know, the <laughs> second rate testosterone he was taking.
0: But you never know. Right. Yeah. I think we should also just clarify it wasn't Familia. Henry Mejia.
2: That's the, right. Uh, the
0: Mets. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't. I upset. don't want anyone going away thinking the current Mets closer is in. Anyway, anyway, suspension. They, they were, both, beat they were
2: both pretty, pretty interchangeable, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Minus the hair.
2: Yeah,
0: and their names do throw you off. Uh, Bob, any final thoughts about D Gordon's P.D. suspension before we move on?
1: Well, from what I've read, it seems like D Gordon's one of the most likable players in all of baseball. So in that regard, it's kind of sad to see him get busted. The same time for cheating. Well, you should get busted.
0: <laughs> yeah. I,
1: yeah. I still want to see somehow, you know, the, the player association along with, you know, the ownership come to an agreement where it's going to affect somehow, some way, modify, adjust, change those guarantee contracts. Cause I look at it. I look at the Yankees and a I look at the Brewers and Ryan Braun. If they could get out under those guarantee contracts, from those guys cheating, I'm pretty positive they do doing no a heartbeat. Oof. I think
0: huh. I agree with that in in some respects. In I, I agree with that in the respect that I think if A Rod at you know 36 or 37 is kind of like Chris said, you know, there was that witch hunt for him to basically be like, we're gonna nail you for this, and we're gonna go to any length to nail you. Like I think at that point, yes, the Yankees absolutely would have loved to have been. Out from underneath of 20, $25 dollars a year for the next you know five years of a rod, but I think you've also seen there's guys like Johnny Peralta, who when they get popped for PEDs and then they go hit free agency, they make more money and it doesn't deter teams. So yeah. I think I think that like I think it would be good in some respects to to at least have the flexibility to be able to say we want to void this contract, but I think it, <laughs> like I could imagine a worst case scenario where the Marlins decide to cut ties with D Gordon and his five year, $50 million contract. And then D Gordon goes to, I don't know, the, whatever team, the, the Mets and makes, <laughs> you know, like a six year, $65 million contract. And then, you know, he's kind of rewarded for having getting popped.
1: Um, That's part of the problem though.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah I mean, the, the big part of the problem to is not the cheap, <laughs> right? The big part of the problem is that teams don't really care if you get caught, for peds as long as it's not while you're on their team and, and probably- i
2: i agree with you bob in, in theory as far as the the players association the league coming together to kind of you know maybe modify the guaranteed money but i don't really see the players association finding common ground with that you know what i mean in theory that's a that's a
1: fantastic idea but probably not going to happen because to look at is you're right. They're not gonna they're not gonna modify or change that because there's money in the players' pockets. Books, but you know, Milwaukee. Ryan Braun is still fairly middle of the, middle of the road age-wise. for his career. And if they want an alpha under his contract, he's basically a placeholder, using up resources that they may have wanted to use on other players.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, they could have. Or they may want that, to extend
1: other people's contracts, but they're kind of forced to keep paying for him. Right. Yeah, they're pigeonholed into you know
2: <laughs> supporting his giant contract and not able to reward their current crop that's coming up.
1: Yeah.
2: Or sign free agent. Right.
0: Yeah, so I think, think I think that takes really money away go. from
1: other possible players in the association. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: Okay, I think we've met our quota for PED discussions <laughs> for the rest of the season. I hereby i am striking the gavel. No more PED discussions on this podcast. Uh, disclaimer. The next time there is a PED-related <laughs> suspension, we'll probably talk about it. But you
1: better hope us not a bucko.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, oh man. Yeah, I do not want to have to have that discussion. That'll be, that'll be a sad, sad day. All right, let's move on to some, uh, some real baseball that's worth talking about. Uh, The Pirates announced on Twitter the other day that they extended the entire coaching staff through the 2017 season. Now, I think like a lot of people who are uh, closely watching the Pirates, that when I heard that news, the first thing I thought of was Ray Searage. And I thought of all of the value that Pittsburgh has gotten out of pitchers over the last, I don't know, three, four seasons Um, with guys like A.J. Burnett. Jay Hap, you know, Edinson Volquez, Vance Worley, uh, Francisco Liriano, and and you know, it's looking like Juan Nicasio this season. <laughs> like I'm, I'm thinking about all of those players and and how Pittsburgh has kind of turned them around, or at least you know, kind of kind of juiced the orange uh, for their their time in Pittsburgh. And but I mean, when you think about the the fact that they extended the entire coaching staff, not just you know, it wasn't just Ray Searage it kind of makes you look at Pittsburgh more as a whole. And you can kind of see this season, um, you know, Pittsburgh's leading the, the league in on base percentage this season. And there's definitely been a, a um, cultural change in the way that Pittsburgh approaches their bats. And I think it's a good thing to reward your staff when you don't, you certainly don't have to, you know, like most coaches go basically like year to year, uh, with their contracts. And at the end of the season, they, they kind of get a good feel for whether they're going to be back next season. Like I love the consistency that the message that Pittsburgh is sending with the consistency that they're going to have that same coaching staff through 2017. Chris, what do you think about the pirates extending their entire coaching staff?
2: Well, uh, before I get into my actual thoughts, can I just do a little meta podcasting moment? We recently talked with the, the marketing manager there from out of the park baseball. And that is the biggest chore in that game is re-signing your entire coaching staff. I'm talking from top to the bottom, all the way down to you know rookie league. You have to re-sign people, and there's no blanket button. So if anybody is listening from out of park baseball, I'll make a blanket button. <laughs> 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 so it's easier to re-sign these people. Anyway, I think um, I think you're right. I think there has been a huge shift. You know, not even, I mean, not even just this year, but back starting in. I'd say 2011, uh, with with Searidge and the pitching staff and his his coaching staff working with pitchers and and taking these scrap heap projects and turning them into either serviceable pitchers or aces like Lariano, for example. I mean, even Volquez seems to seems to remember his training in Pittsburgh because he's still pitching pretty well outside of Pittsburgh, and you know he got himself a World Series ring, which really makes me angry. But. <laughs> Um this year you you're starting to see and you know maybe it's been building up to that the the on base percentage is you know top in the league we were talking about it before we started 378 which is a full 10 plus points more than the cubs i believe and uh or i could be wrong about that let's see yeah yeah it's 14 points higher than the cubs so uh they've been pretty they've got a pretty good commanding lead they've been scoring runs which is something that watching the pirates has always aggravated me <laughs> in the past you know 20 some years of my life uh so maybe you know if it continues throughout the season i think that it's uh you know it's a it's a good shift and it's a good shift of thinking just to get on base and score runs
0: bob what do you think about the extension of the entire pirates coaching stuff
1: I think it's awesome for Pirates fans and Pirates organization. I think if you're a coach in organization, you're probably very happy to that has some sense of security.
0: Yeah, I think that, that sends a very clear message. I I don't know. I'm, I am have such weird feelings about Bob Nutting as an owner because there's some things that he does that drive me absolutely insane, and there's some things that he does where I'm like, that's really progressive. And I think this is a very, very progressive thing. Like I've never seen another club do this in baseball: extend their entire coaching staff through the the following season. Um, and I, like I said, I think it sends a very clear message about the direction that your franchise is going in. You think um, it's
1: Nutting so much as maybe it's him saying, "I trust my people working for me to do the job," and just signs off on it.
0: Do I think it's? Do I think that Bob Nutting? That's the message that he's trying to send by doing this. Is that what you're asking?
1: Yeah, like he's trying to. I I, I, allow people that he's hired to do their job and he'll just support their decisions.
0: Yes, I, I agree with that's, that's kind of the tone that I get from, from Bob Nutting um, as an owner. Um, He's, he's kind of been that way with Neil Huntington. Um, He's, he's expressed the fact that he thinks that Neil Huntington does a very good job with the resources that he's provided with. Um, So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I feel. Yes, I, I believe that he's trying to send a very clear message with that. That he trusts what uh, his coaching staff's doing. Absolutely. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before we kind of dove into the prospects is kind of a, a spin off of the uh, extension of the coaching staff through 2017, which is Juan Nicasio, gentlemen, is back to being a Cy Young Award winner. He, uh, After his last start, I think it's pretty clear that you might as well just get that hardware ready to hand over to him. <laughs> uh, Friday against the Reds, Nicasio threw seven shutout innings. By the way, if uh, if uh, our listeners can't tell, I am being a bit hyperbolic. Um, and I do, know, I, I do know enough about baseball that Juan Nicasio is probably not going to win the Cy Young. I just feel like I should make that clear.
1: But you it's, need to make a Juan Nicasio Cy Young Award t-shirt.
0: So <laughs> I was thinking maybe <laughs> like a thermometer. A, Cy, a Juan Nicasio Cy Young thermometer. I'll just keep it on the outside of my house and after each start I'll adjust it according oh, to no. you,
2: you <laughs> gotta slap that right on the page. Yeah, that's gotta <laughs>
0: Yeah. Our Juan Nicasio Cyung thermometer. Where do we stand with Juan Nicasio Cyung hopes? <laughs> um, Hell, you could even use the uh, the terror alert there. Yeah, right, yeah. Oh, it'll have it'll have corresponding colors with it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um Nicasio threw seven shutout innings Friday against Cincinnati, struck out eight. The most important thing, uh, which I was paying really close attention to in that start, was he limited his walks to one. So going into that game, his walks per nine, and we talked about it last week, Bob, and I forget exactly what it was, but I think prior to Friday's start, his walks per nine were like four and a half, somewhere around there. I don't think he was up in the fives yet. Um, But I mean, it was like, it was pretty obnoxious walk rate. And... Um, by only walking one Friday, his uh, base on balls per nine had dropped to four on the year. So, you know, you're seeing improvement in that area, uh, which which is a good thing uh, on the year. He owns a reasonable one point one five whip. Um, so, you know, despite the high number of walks, he's he's not giving up too much else. Um, otherwise, he was touching 98 miles per hour on the radar uh, his fastball, if you've ever seen him pitch, is, it's a very lively fastball. It <laughs> it explodes out of his hand, and I'm sure I haven't actually looked at the, the graphs on it, but I'm sure it, it probably has a little bit of rise to it, too, because it just looks like, man, it, it, it comes to life when it leaves his hand. Um, it, on the year, his fastball averaging 93.7 miles per hour. He's throwing it um, 71% of the time. Um, his sliders, 85 miles per hour. He's throwing that about 23% of the time. His changeup is there. You don't quite get that separation um, from his fastball and his changeup that you would like. It's averaging 86 miles an hour. Um, he's throwing it 5% of the time. So you figure, you know, if he's throwing hundred pitches, you're seeing about five changeups mixed in there. Um, and that's, again, that's the one area where I think if, if Nicasio is really going to stick in this rotation and be that, you know, number three starter that we, we need him to be he's, he's going to have to look to, at some point, I think, increase that, that change-up usage, um, especially when you look at his starts and you can see that he can't rely on his fastball all the time. Um, you know, there's just there's some days where you can tell he just doesn't have control of that fastball, and I, I think having that other pitch that he'll be able to go to, I, I really think it'll help him kind of survive through some of those outings. Um, according to Fangraphs, his fastball is by f- far his best pitch. Um, it's 3.9 runs above average. Um, and his slider and his changeup have both been kind of neutral. Um, they're, they're really sitting right around just average pitches um, as far as their effectiveness. Now, the thing that really stood out to me when I was digging into Nicasio is his um, O contact rate, which is the percentage of time that a batter makes contact with pitches outside of the strike zone. Um, his career average O contact rate was uh, 70.2%. And last year his O contact rate was 65.7%. Um, this season, his O contact rate is up to 76.3%, which to me means, and I think again, this kind of correlates with his whip, you're seeing guys that are hitting balls that are outside of the strike zone and they're making weak contact. You know, they're, they're trying to square up balls that are not good pitches to hit. And I think that that Nicasio's benefiting from the fact that they're swinging at his, less than stellar pitches. Um, so how are we feeling about Juan Nicasio? I don't know if you guys watched his last start. Chris, what do you think about uh, Juan Nicasio's Cy Young chances this season after his stellar outing uh, in Cincinnati?
2: If they invent a new award for just Juan Nicasio winning the Cy Young, I think he's got a good chance of winning it. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the actual Cy Young award, not going to happen. <laughs> but you can see the, the effect of Uncle Ray on Nicasio's pitching. Um, he, still, he still has some shaky moments and some, some bad games. I know people were really dreading him starting at Coors Field again. Thankfully, that game got postponed. But, you know, to put that in pers- perspective, you know, Great American Ballpark isn't really friendly to pitchers either. He still thrived there. So I think he's going to be a serviceable, you know, middle of the road starter. I think he's being repaired, and I think they'll find ways to kind of uh, work with that when his fastball isn't doing what he wants it to. I think they'll find ways to make adjustments where he will, you know, overcome whatever it is. Um, and again, I, I think he's been a lot of fun to watch. He's been a huge surprise just. You know, I I always scoff at moves that Neil Huntington makes because that's just how I am. And I (laughs) scoff on that one. I was like, great, you know, just another guy that's destined to be in the bullpen by the end of the season, Uh, which still could happen. We're only a month in, but so far he's flashed enough serviceable starting pitching prowess that I think he's going to stick and he's going to make a good addition to the rotation for the rest of the season.
0: Now, Bob, barring has, injury. Of course. Right. Right. Yes. Staying healthy would be key. Um, Bob is as a fan of another team that that kind of scrapes the bargain bin. You guys, uh, the, the Indians have a lot of similarities to the Pirates. Uh, Mickey Calloway does a great job, though, with with what he is provided. How do you how do you feel when uh, when teams acquire players like these Juan Nicasios or the Scott Casmiers and you see them performing like this?
1: I sort of do what Chris does, kind of scoff a little bit, shake your head and pray for the best. <laughs> um, it's neat though, too, because obviously Huntington and Pittsburgh—he is a disciple, sort of, of, of the uh, Indians organization, right? So there, all are, there are a lot of similarities, obviously, between how both organizations are run. My worry about Nicosio is the same worry that I have for Trevor Bauer—it's the walks. The walks concern me. If it, that that walk ratio you know, box per nine continues to decrease. I think you're really seeing some uh, hard improvement in development, but if they remain around four, I think he's going to be footing with danger eventually.
0: Yeah. You're not going to survive as a starter.
1: And that's a command and
2: control issue. You know, you see that with Bauer. I mean, that's been his issue. I think minus his crappy rap music, by the way, (laughs) Uh, you know, since he's, since he, uh, you know, broke into the league finally, but I think if they could work with, with them on their control and command, it'll it'll, you know, improve by volumes. Oh, oh yeah.
0: So my Juan Nicasio Cyung thermometer has uh, increased <laughs> in uh, in temperature since his last start. So I'd say uh, if if we were looking at a graphic of this thermometer, we're uh, beyond the very blue at the bottom of the thermometer, moving up into the yellow, not quite to the orange yet. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. We're working our way up. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, something fun and something that we thoroughly enjoy talking about around these parts, which is uh, some prospects. Prospects are always fun because uh, it's kind of like that, that kid before Christmas. You get to dream on whatever it is that you want that's under the tree uh, until you're disappointed that your parents only got you a wooden toy train. But it's fun for us specifically because we get to go and see a lot of these prospects because we have the the Erie SeaWolves who are right in Erie, and Chris, I know you live near the uh, the Binghamton Mets, mm-hmm. so you kind of get to see a lot of these prospects. And Double A, I think, to me at least, is probably the best level of baseball to watch because by the time you get the players to the Double A level, you're kind of getting to see the the best of the best. Um, you know, the Double A crop. When you get there, you can kind of start to see the players that are being separated from you know yeah, the players but- that don't have that next level talent
2: there's not a lot of filler there there, you know, the filler you see a lot below it, double double a. And then at triple a with the quad a guys that could, you know, they, they mash in triple a, but when they get up up to the majors, they suddenly forget.
0: Right. I always say, um, we, we live near, uh, the Indians. Uh, are they short season Lake County, Bob? They are a, are they single a full season? Low a low a. So yeah, we live, we live, uh, you know, about an hour and a half away from the Indians Lake County squad. And when I remember we went to go watch Francisco Lindor play there um, a few years ago when he was with Lake County and just watching Francisco Lindor play at that level, you could tell like uh, this guy's not going to be here very long. Like he was just that much better, that much more coordinated and put together. And just when you watched him play, he looked like a guy that belonged on a field with, with better competition. And when you get to double a, that kind of thins out a little bit. Um, You know, I always think of when we went to we went to Bob and I watched uh, Jacob Turner uh, pitch a game and we sat right behind home plate watching Jacob Turner and Jacob Turner is a guy who, you know, he kicked around in the majors for a little bit. I think he's injured now and maybe down in someone's triple A team. But, um, you know, when you get to double A, there's a lot of guys like Jacob Turner who can spin off nasty breaking balls and and um, it, it, it kind of thins out a little bit more where you're seeing more guys who are talented like that. And and even if they don't. Necessarily make it in the majors. They're still talented enough that they're going to make Double A look, uh, you know, like a very competitive place. So um, we we enjoy prospects. That's the the long way of saying that we enjoy prospects here. So Chris, yeah. I'm going to kind of let you lead things off with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. And when we're talking about the Pirates' prospects this season, um, who are some players that plan that fans should kind of be paying attention to?
2: Well, you know, we're a month into the season, and so I did you know a little bit of research to basically. Give people just a window into what I believe is the top five performers right now. You know, throughout throughout the uh, pirate system. So you know, let me start with a guy who, whose estimated time of arrival is, by most people who do this professionally, is still a couple years away. But I personally think he's maybe an injury or two away from sitting on the bench, and that's Josh Bell. He is uh, mashing in Indy right now. Uh, what is his average 312 he uh, hit for the cycle a couple weeks ago uh i think he has how many home runs does he have now
0: i think he's up uh was he up to three three
2: yeah so you know he's he is i i think major league ready to the extent where he could maybe be a bench player or if Jaso or, or sean rod get injured let's just call sean rod serpico but <laughs> um You know, we were talking before we started about Jaso and how he has really, really improved the team as the leadoff hitter. I got a lot of questions about him being the leadoff hitter from some of the more casual baseball fans that are my friends, and I said I was like, "You just wait. You know, he's the leadoff hitter, not not for speed, but because he gets on base." And, you know, I had to use the money bomb gif for that, for everything. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, I think Josh Bell right now is your, your top prospect just for the month of April. Um, I, I don't know. Andy, do you think he's major league ready based on what you've seen? Uh,
0: Red. So so we had a chance to, to watch Josh Bell uh, last year, actually, when he came through with with Altoona. And I, I will say one of the areas of his game where he <laughs> particularly struggles is defensively um, you know he yeah. th- there was a game where he um, couldn't make a pick out of the dirt when he was with Erie um, and he dropped a line drive that was kind of hit you know right at him that that looked like a play so that was just kind of you know a short um, uh, you know a very small sample size I guess of, of Josh Bell defensively. Well, he but is... he, he struggled last year defensively um, in the Eastern League
2: He's new to the position, too. I mean, you got to remember, he was drafted as an outfielder, but I think his knees, he was—he missed a year because of knee surgery, and then that's when they converted him to first base, mostly because the outfield is already stacked enough and because they're pretty light on first basemen in the system. Uh, but I think you're right. I think he could probably improve a little bit as far as his defense goes.
0: Yeah, and right. that's, that's an area that the Pirates, too, they, you know, one of the reasons that Pedro Alvarez hurt them so badly at first base, aside from the fact that he was just at the end of his tenure in Pittsburgh, not even hitting. But, you know, <laughs> they rely on the ground balls a lot and they rely on a first baseman that's able to make, you know, plays that that, is... that make their infielders better. Um, and that's what they're going to kind of be counting on. They don't have anywhere. It's not the American League. They can't hide Josh Bell somewhere. Um, he's going to have to be out there to to be able to play. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I thought it was interesting and just another thing that uh, that popped up on Twitter that I'd seen was, um, according to Pirates prospects, the Pirates haven't ruled Bell out as an outfield option um, if an injury were to take place. Um, so you know they're they're and it, it seems to make sense with the way that Pittsburgh operates. They like flexibility with their players. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was interesting.
2: in the outfield too, that right?
0: Means- yeah. So Josh Bell's Josh Bell's off to a he's off to a, a solid start in Triple A. Um, he's walking nearly as much as he strikes out. Um, you know he has kind of a his BABIP's at 362, so I would expect some some corrections at some point. But overall, yes, I'm I'm loving Josh Bell. So who else should Pirates fans kind of be paying attention to, Chris?
2: Well, before we get away from Josh Bell real quick, just a little bit of Josh Bell. Meta trivia for you. He is the reason the slot system exists, I believe. (laughs) Yes, Because he told the pirates pretty emphatically that he did not want to be drafted and they drafted him anyway and gave him a pile of money. And that's one of the reasons they, they instituted the slot system. So people couldn't do that anymore. Um, I do believe that is, he is the player that, that caused that.
0: Pittsburgh did a fantastic job gaming that system for the time that they could. Yeah. So anyway,
2: Moving on, uh, and this should come to no surprise, and I, I I struggled with this. I lost sleep over you know this number two and number one spot, but you know, and me you know, for those of you who do know me, you know I love pitching more than hitting, but I still I put I put Glass now as our number two for the month of April. Um, he also looks pretty ready to come up. Not exactly. As Dominant, but he is uh, having some command and control problems still. I think he's still walking uh, batters, but he is striking out a hell of a lot more. <laughs> um, and he and he's doing it. You know, the video I've seen is just is uh, pretty dominating his stuff. So, you know, personally, I really. I wish the Pirates were more aggressive on bringing people up and I wish he'd come up and Jeff Locke would go away forever.
0: <laughs>
2: but you know, it's more than likely we'll see him in September. Um, if not September, then definitely out of spring next year.
0: I don't know. I'm, I feel like we're going to see Glasnow at some point prior to that. I think, I think Glasnow's I so. gotten to the point where, and, and I, and I will say Pittsburgh handles their prospects with kid gloves. They, and, and yeah. I, I sincerely believe they don't do it just out of the, the service time uh, the service time issues, you know, like oh, I disagree with you there. I think there's, I think there's some cases that they do, but I think with a player like Glasnow and so I, I watched his um, start against Louisville um, two starts ago and it was, it's probably been his worst start to the season. And so, you know, like Glasnow this season, he's striking out 13 batters per nine, um, you know, his ERA is 2.57. He has this 2.04 FIP. Um, you know, he's, he's been pretty dominant in A, but in the start against Louisville, um, you know, it was pretty easy to see that he still has stuff that he needs to work on. Um, stuff where, you know, and, and again, you have to remember too, like this is a kid who was drafted 18 years old. He hasn't been this size, you know, height wise, weight wise for his whole career. He's still kind of trying to figure out his mechanics. You know, he's six foot seven. He's a big guy. Um, Get on the mound. That's even more <laughs> imposing. Right, and so he's got a lot of stuff that that you know you want to develop and you want to make sure that you have um, in place before you bring him up because you want him to be able to succeed. And against Louisville, you know he was telegraphing his curveball. I mean, <laughs> you could see <laughs> you could see in his rotation every time you could just kind of see like, oh, this one's gonna be a curveball. And, you know, most of the time it, it was a curveball, um, his his command of his fastball, you know, he was missing the mitt and not just by like, you know, the average, like five or six inches left or right. I mean, it was like we're trying to throw a fastball low and away and it ends up like middle in. Um, and, and it was kind of in that start where you can look and see, like he still has some stuff that he needs to, to refine. And the right. other thing that Pittsburgh is really emphasizing with a lot of their players, since they kind of blatantly ignored it for a period of time, was the uh, the pickoff moves. And holding runners on, you know, like there's nothing worse for a a defensive heavy team like Pittsburgh, where they rely on a lot of their infield defense and shifts and things like that, than having a runner on first that, you know, is just going to take second. Um, And so I think there's a lot of stuff that Glasnow still has to work on, you know, and again, you you mentioned his walk rate. He's walking three batters per nine, which is not terrible, um, but you would still probably like to see some improvement in that area also.
2: Right. And, you know, with the fastball and the curveball thing, you know, you're, you're absolutely correct because major league hitters, most of them will not be fooled.
0: Right. I mean, you're going to see that coming and they're going to,
2: yeah.
0: yeah. Like the thing I'll say is if I'm sitting on my couch watching on a grainy, uh, you know, MILB app uh, and I can tell and you're, I can pick out when you're throwing your curveball. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's not going to take very long for major league hitters to figure it out.
2: Bryce Harper is going to see that, and he's going to start salivating.
0: <laughs> right, <So>. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I I love Glasnow. I think I think he is definitely. I personally think he's our bluest blue chip prospect. Um, and I I think he has the highest ceiling out of anyone uh, that we have in our system right now. I think it's just you know you want to see him do things consistently and and repetitively repetitively before you bring him up. Yeah. So uh, who else do we have going on? We have Glasnow Bell. Who else well, we going have this
2: spring? We have Tyone next, uh, who who's coming off TJ surgery. Uh, you know, in, in my not very expert opinion, I think he would have been in the majors by now, right behind Garrett Cole and Liriano, uh, if it weren't for the Tommy John. But he he's, he's showing uh, he's showing his brilliance right now at Indy. Uh, why why he was drafted so high to begin with? Um, you know I sent you my stats <laughs> for for this podcast in advance before Baseball Reference had updated his page for some reason. It was showing he had an ERA just south of eight, which we all know is wrong. <laughs> he he's uh was he at one one point five four?
0: Yep, one point five four ERA and a one point six six FIP. Yep, he's he started four games, and he's
2: he's really shown some brilliance down there. And, uh, you know, he's another one that – he's 24. He's looking like he, he didn't even skip a beat in his development despite the Tommy John surgery. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe we'll see him in September. I'm hoping maybe we'll see him in September, uh, based, mostly due to his age but also because I think he, he he'll can come up and he can contribute to the team. And, uh, if, if not again, next year, he's going to be, he'll definitely be in the rotation during an, another serious injury or just an implosion. But he, he's looking like the guy they drafted or, or they intended to draft.
0: Right. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at, when you consider the fact that the last time Ty threw a baseball in 2013, uh, for Indianapolis, um, In his six starts in Indianapolis, he was walking nearly four batters uh, per nine. And this Mm. season, he's walked two batters in his 23 innings. Um, Yeah, he's definitely shown a lot of growth as a pitcher when you factor in again. Yeah, he hasn't thrown a pitch since 2013. Um, I think I think Talion, again, could be a guy, too. I think when it comes time for Pittsburgh to determine, like, are we going to keep trying to you know, make it through the season with Jeff Locke, or you know, if, if Juan Nacasio breaks down and you have to move him back to the bullpen, I, I think I think Talion will I could conceivably see a, a scenario where Talion is actually called up before um, Glasnow to fill a spot like that. Um, I think. I think
2: purely based on age and, right. and
0: service time. Right. I think when you get to the when you factor in the age, I mean he's at 24 years old, so you have to figure. Uh, you know, how much longer do we keep him down here? How much more does he have to prove at AAA? Um, you know, he's been in the pirate system since 2011. So, you know, we're getting to that point where it's, you know, most prospects are, are making their way up. And when you factor in the fact that he missed, you know, the last two seasons, um, I, I think you have to kind of take that into consideration with, with his age. But um, yeah, we're getting to that point where it's, you know, put up or shut up with with Talion. And I think he's he's definitely demonstrating that that he uh, he has mastery of triple a
2: mm-hmm. well uh, away from the two pitchers that I think are basically at the top uh, we'll move on to Cole Tucker's main competition and that is Kevin Newman who, who was drafted uh, what was it 2015 yeah last year out of Arizona and in 19 games at Bradington so far, he's hitting 360. He's a you know a line drive hitter, and he's really fast. And I don't think, based on his size, he's going to be a shortstop for long. And I've read other articles to the to that effect that he's gonna he's gonna get even bigger. So he he will probably be you know probably be somewhere else in the infield by the time he makes it to the majors. Especially if he's if Cole Tucker sticks at shortstop, you know we could be seeing a, a really bright future in the middle infield for, for the pirates. And I I really like Kevin Newman. I I liked him. I liked him when they drafted him and I, and based on his performance, you know, in his short time in the pirate system, I like him.
0: Yeah. Newman is, is one of those things. And when, I guess I should preface this by saying, when you're talking about draft picks, it's important, I think, to consider, um, the, the age of the player when he's drafted. So when you're looking at a guy like Newman, you know, Newman was coming out of Arizona um, so you yeah, know he's a little think, little older, right? He's a little bit older. He's he has a little more experience, not necessarily professional, but you know playing against higher level competition. Um, and so you would expect uh, Kevin Newman to kind of be able to uh, at least be able to compete at some of these higher levels. So starting him out at Bradenton, um, you know it's it's good that he's performing well there. I I think you can you know he'll be a guy that you could be talking about seeing in Altoona. Um, before the end of the season and, you know, probably starting next season with, with Altoona again. Um, so, yeah, he's he's been off to a great start. Uh, it's nice when you can kind of see those, you know, we invested $2.175 million in him. Um, yeah. So it's, it's nice when you can kind of see those investments paying dividends uh, quickly, I guess.
2: Not as much as Josh Bell still, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> still not, yeah, still not Josh Bell level. $5 million for a second round pick. I don't think we'll ever see again. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, and and on his current course, Newman, you know, look for, for his ETA to be in the majors by 2018. I would say Um, that is certainly a middle of the road to liberal estimate, but if he continues on the path, he's going, I think he'll be there. Uh, And uh, you know, my, my fifth guy I picked out is not so much a prospect. He's more of a non-prospect, but he's, He's uh he's destined to be in the bullpen in the big leagues or at least a back end starter, and that's uh, Chad Cole Cool. He's currently at Indy, and throughout this month he's he started four games, pitched to a 1.31 ERA. He's got a couple wins, and he is he's just shown that he could be a serviceable pitcher. Um, I think he is a guy that'll come up sometime on the Pirates, probably due to injury. Um, they're not rushing to get into the majors or anything, but if if somebody goes down in the pen, if they need a spot starter. I think they'll they'll get, go to him even before Tyon or uh, Glasnow. Um I don't know if you've, if you've watched him at all, Andy, but he, he looks to be a pretty decent back end guy, or or you know at very least a bullpen arm.
0: Um, yeah. And he has, he has the, the profile of a, a pitcher that Pittsburgh kind of loves a la like a, ground balls. Yep. Like a Jared Hughes kind of pitcher. Yeah. He has a yeah. heavy, really heavy fastball. It's, you know, low nineties, you know, it's, you know, 92, 93, but it's, it's a heavy fastball. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and he is, he's, he, he induces a lot of ground balls, uh, which Pittsburgh loves. Um, so, do you have anyone else that you want to touch on out of the the Pirates' prospects? I just have a couple that I wanted to mention before we. Well, uh...
2: well I have a I have an honorable mention, and uh, he's he's kind of a utility guy, and who who I think his name has graced our podcast and our page before, and that's Max Moroff.
0: Oh yes,
2: uh, he is. Uh, I wouldn't say tearing it up at Indy, but he is he's got a pretty solid hit tool and a little bit of pir- uh, power. Um. He's flashed that power in Indy, a lot of gap power, a couple home runs. I think he'll make a great bench guy, fringe everyday player on a certain team, probably not the Pirates unless, you know, something nuclear happens. But, you know, his only real main cause for concern is patience. He, he, patience. He, He strikes out a lot. But, you know, that's what you get with a guy who has, like, a hit and a power tool that's pretty decent and nothing else. Um, I would say he would probably come up in you know, if the shit hits the fan, so to speak, um and we we run out of options on the bench. Yeah, or I think,
0: uh, definitely
2: in September as a September call up.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, when the rosters expand, he'll I, I he'll definitely be in Pittsburgh at the at the end of the year, I would think. Um He hit two ninety three as a switch hitter last year. Um which he he had a, a phenomenal season. Um when you're considering especially his pedigree, I think he was a uh, uh, 16th or 15th round draft pick or something like that, you know, Pittsburgh went over slot to pay him. I think they paid him like $300,000 to to kind of get him to forego his, uh, collegiate career. Um, they definitely saw something then. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's again, another kind of over slot investment that looks like it's kind of paying off so far. Um, the, the only other person that I really wanted to touch on, uh, that's been kind of shocking for pirates fans in general. Um, we have a player in uh, Lowey, West Virginia, named Mitch Keller, who is off to a phenomenal start. Um, Keller's kind of a surprise. He doesn't really have the again the the pedigree of, um, you know, Italian or a Glasnow. Um, uh-huh. He was a he was a second round pick in 2014, um, and he kind of came into Velocity later on in, uh, in his career, um, but so far. Um, it, for low a, west virginia 2016 he's thrown 21 innings he struck out 28 he only has one walk um and a 0. 0.6 or a 0. 0.86 era um so nice he has a topic a, yeah yeah he's he's having a great season in Loway west virginia his fastball touches 95 um has some sinking action to it um he mixes in a curveball and a change up um and last year he kind of struggled with with some forearm tightness uh which was somewhat alarming but so far i guess it's sounding like it's not appearing to be tommy john related um which is nice so uh mitch keller is kind of someone that i would keep my eye on um if he continues to perform like this i think he could be a player that you could kind of see leaping through the system um pretty quickly and um, i'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on his fastball velocity uh as he continues to to progress through the pirate system okay uh bob I know we got some. Uh, we've we just kind of shut you out of this whole thing because we were just blabbing on about the pirates. But I want you to uh, to kind of chime in on your uh, sleeper Indians prospect that you have for tribe fans to be paying attention to.
1: Oh yes, I wanted to highlight a guy who is currently playing in our local area at Lake County, Lake County Captains, uh, a shortstop, <coughs> which is interesting, obviously, because we are hopefully set for the next. Seven, eight years with a great one or now. 20 <laughs> years, the next 20 years. Uh, that'd be great. Hey, that'd be awesome. Uh, he was born in Puerto Rico, signed after training in the Dominican Republic. His name is Willie Castro. Uh, interesting thing about him, he's very, very young. He just turned 19 last Sunday. So he'll be playing in the full season, low class A ball as a newly turned 19 year old, <clears throat> rest of the season, barring a promotion or you know demotion. He played last year at uh, short season low A European League with the Mahoney Valley Scrappers. Um, he's six foot one, but only 165 pounds.
0: <laughs> I respect those guys.
1: That's right. So he has some, uh, I guess you'd say, projectability as far as his body type. Uh, currently, he has a nice line drive approach. He's a switch hitter. Uh, his arm from the shortstop position is strong. I wouldn't say great. They think he has power to develop at least gap power. He's above average runner. He had a lot of freedom last year in base pass. But I went and watched him in the Honing Valley with manager Travis Fryman. Basically give him the green light a main time. go ahead and go for it. And I saw, him. I think I saw him steal three bases and got thrown out one time. So it was like three or four games I went to a lot of bad running going on. Yeah. Uh, He's to walk more though, I would say. Take advantage of his speed. It's not like 80 grade speed, but it's above average. And the nice thing that I've noticed so far is he continues to increase his weighted on base average every single year so far. It's so always this a, is a kind good of sign. Keep your eyes on.
0: Yeah, Willie Castro over in Lake County. By the way, if you haven't had a chance to experience uh, Lake County, uh, the Lake County Captains, uh, a baseball game there, it is one of my one of the most enjoyable minor league baseball experiences you'll have, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, they're, they're an A ball stadium. Uh, It does not feel like an A ball stadium at all. (laughs) Like, like I've seen, I've, you know, I've been to some A ball stadiums that you're looking at and you're like, Ooh boy, this is like Ainsworth field in Erie. Uh, (laughs) And that stadium is it's majestic. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you would think it was a double a stadium. Um, It's, it's, it's great. The staff there is fantastic. Um, I know Bob Jason and I have actually had a chance to go up to the booth there, and everybody was really super nice. Um, yeah, it's it's a really enjoyable minor league experience. So if you get a chance to to check out the Lake County Captains, uh, I would absolutely recommend it. Okay, I think that's going to wrap us up. Do we have anything else that we want to touch on today, gentlemen?
2: I uh, just let me say, uh, did he did he mention Travis Fryman?
1: Because he did. That, that bit. Right there was a. <laughs> that
2: is, is a... some early 2000s meta baseball player, <laughs> tr- you know, mention right there. Yep.
0: This Fryman reference.
1: I think he's been managing the scrappers the last two seasons, maybe. Man. Uh, you is guys
0: he... aren't too far are you... from
1: there, are you?
2: Either. It's about an right? hour
1: hour drive to Nile, okay. Ohio. here.
2: That's not too bad. That's like me. and I mean, they play in the same league as the, the, the New York Penn League with the Williamsport Crosscutters, and I'm about an hour and 25 minutes from that.
0: Yep. So Yeah, it's definitely not. It's a uh, close enough distance that it's worth the drive down to go check it out for sure. And
1: Eastwood Field is very, very nice too.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it's very, very nice for a a low A. Uh, if
1: you basically. have a a spouse or a significant other who wants to go shopping before the game, the mall's right there.
0: Yeah, the parking <laughs> lot is in the mall, isn't it? Yes. Yeah.
1: Adjacent to it. Yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a neat thing.
2: What, is, what? It's just like the Seawolves. I don't understand. What is a scrapper? And these minor league teams, I, I think they just pull names out of the hat.
1: Uh, they for really them, do. it's a dog with a nice big chain around his neck. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, I see now. I also see they have Booker T and the Hardy Boys coming July 9th. I may need to come out for that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that. That's some childhood awesomeness
0: right there. That's how they pull you in. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'd like to thank our listeners and ask if you're listening to us on iTunes that you give us a rate and review. Uh, Our fans have been awesome with the rates and reviews lately, so we really appreciate it. Um, We're recording regularly now that the season is underway, so keep your ear to the ground uh, for our next podcast. In the meantime, if you want to check us out on the web and pay attention to our Juan Nicasio, which will be coming soon, you can do so at (laughs) www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at tristatebb. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball. So for Bob Finkbeiner and Chris Bradley, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon.